Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I mean, our ambition is to win, and our ambition is for the single to go to number one and for it to be another watershed moment for Eurovision for the UK. That is our ambition. The Eurotrip, when I read that, I was immediately thinking of the movie. Do you know the movie? Hi, I'm Leanne. Hello, Leanne. Uh, Leanne, are you a Eurotrip podcast listener? I am, yes! <laughs> I, I should say, I met some Eurotrip fans here. I was chatting with people outside the entrance. And they said, oh, are you, are you Felix Fist? And I said, yeah, I know you're from the Eurotrip. What did you have for breakfast? It was last night. I did not have a kebab for breakfast. Queen Lorene, Eurovision winner. Did you ever think you would be back here again? I get goosebumps. No way. Martin Ossadar, Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much. Welcome back, I think it is, right? Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And today we have got an exclusive chat with two of the people who chose Ollie Alexander as the UK's representative for Eurovision 2024. We are back with a bonus to start the week in the best way possible. James... This is a chat that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And this is the inside story of how Ollie Alexander was chosen as the UK's entry for Eurovision 2024. Yes. So we're going to hear from Lee Smithurst, who, if you're a Eurotrip podcast listener, you'll know him uh, as the executive producer 
for Eurovision for the BBC. He was heavily involved in the show in Liverpool last year. But we'll also hear from Will Wilkin, who is the commissioning executive for BBC Music. So he's involved in some of the BBC's biggest music projects like Glastonbury and Radio One's Big Weekend. But also, for the last few years, has had a hand in choosing or help lead who represents the UK at Eurovision. So therefore, a fascinating person to have on the podcast. We haven't had anyone from the BBC Music team on the Eurotrip before, so this is a first for us, and it'll be a first for you listening as well, because the level of insight you get over the next half hour, upwards of of 45 minutes, I'm going to say, is absolutely unrivaled. You won't get this anywhere else, and I'm going to say it now. This is our biggest episode ever, so well done for tuning in. So we've got all of the the behind-the-scenes gossip you will want. So we've got all that and more still to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So here we are then. If you are listening on the day of release, if you have got in there and are one of the first people listening to this, it is a Monday and what a way to start the week with, I've already said it, our biggest episode ever. This is how the BBC chose Ollie Alexander to represent the UK at Eurovision in Malmö. What more could you want? Yeah, it's a huge episode. You're going to get all of the behind the scenes detail about uh, how they chose Ollie, about how they chose the song, how they decided that he was going to be announced as a surprise uh, on Strictly Come Dancing. Do you remember a few weeks ago? Uh, In December, just before Christmas. In fact, I I should tell you that when Ollie was announced on Strictly Come Dancing, much like a lot of you who were listening, I was sitting at home and just finished my tea. I was finding out who was going to win Strictly. We got the announcement that Ollie was going to represent the UK at Eurovision this year. And I immediately pulled my phone out, went to my emails (laughs) to email Lee, uh, and I think the, the subject line was podcast chat, question mark. Uh, he did get back and said, look, I'm very busy. We'll try and do it before Christmas. If not, we'll do it in the new year. Uh, so he emailed me last week, uh, just in the new year, and said, I'm free now. We can have a chat. But how about I invite along Will Wilkin from BBC Music? He led the search with me uh, to decide who was going to represent the UK. And I said, of course, yes, I'd love to speak to you both. So we had this chat uh, on Friday last week. And a huge thank you as well, before we hear this interview, to the BBC and to Lee Smithurst. Will as well, of course, but to Lee for always being so generous with his time. We know how much you love these episodes, so it is brilliant to be able to bring you this chat because this is going to give you a level of access that we have never had before. I'm going to say that here. And do let us know what you think of what you hear on the episode today. We would love to hear your thoughts. We're, of course, on social. We're at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. We're going to have loads of videos going out across our socials as well. So you can see and hear from Lee and Will on there as well. And also, if you want to send us an email, you can do that. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com. And lastly... If you love what you hear on the episode today and feel like you want to give us a couple of quid to help support the podcast, we would be ever so grateful. And you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Podcast. So let's get straight into it then, shall we? This is what happened when I caught up with Lee Smithers and Will Wilkin last week. First up then, let's say hello and welcome back to Lee Smithers. Lee, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Nice to speak to you. 
Yes, very good. Uh, nice to speak to you so early in the year with uh, with some news already. How does it feel to have the news that Oli Alexander is representing the UK out already? It's great. I, I was saying to Will, like, it's so great to be at this stage um, where we've announced the artist, it's out there, so we can just concentrate now on the release and then everything that's going to come up between between now and May. So it's a really good position to be in because I feel like every other year, not through anyone's fault, it just feels like it's always later than this and I think when Will and I started on this in really early summer our plan was to have you know the song and singer before Christmas and that was our goal to just try and get that in the bag because it just makes everything a bit more relaxed this side of the year. Because normally in the last few years you've been involved I guess when we're talking the first few days of January you wouldn't even have necessarily chosen the song or the artist but you've got them both out so that is like a huge step forward in terms of progress that we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, and I can't speak for last year. I wasn't involved in the uh, the May Muller year, but with Sam, the, the conversations that we had with TAP, obviously they took a while to get across the line. So they didn't really get started on it until probably October 2021. So of course they wanted as much time as possible to explore every option in that year, which naturally means that you're still not there, particularly with an artist or song until January time. So I think for Will and I, because we were we knew we were on this from June, we didn't see any reason really why we couldn't be in a position to to have an artist and a song in place by the end of, of last year. Well, let's welcome Will. Will Wilkin, uh, Commissioning Executive for Music at the BBC. Is that is that correct? That's right, yeah. So I work in the public service side of the BBC, in BBC Music. And, you know, BBC Music has the music radio stations, uh, the all the big events we have, Radio One's Big Weekend, Glastonbury, The Proms. Um, and obviously Eurovision is, 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 has a huge musical element and it is something that BBC Music supports massively through its radio stations and through its social channels. Um, so I got involved formally last year, and, but Lee and I worked in the same year as well together. So going back to 2022, which is the first year, so you sort of you know, dipped your foot in, into the water. What was it like to get that sort of backing from the BBC to have somebody like you in your role? involved in that selection process for Eurovision it's it's a big step you know looking back at how the process used to be isn't it yeah and I think for BBC Music there's a huge amount of expertise within the department whether it be uh, heads of music music teams who have amazing connections to labels and plus also then you've got the kind of like presenting talent who have these incredible relationships with artists that there's a wealth of knowledge there that that it turned it felt like really worked really well with the wealth of knowledge that that was in the Eurovision team already um, so stepping into 2022 and obviously Lee and Andrew leading on that, the success we saw was like, wow, actually, we really feel we can make a massive difference. And it feels year on year that's starting to build as well. It's not that we weren't involved previously at all. You know, Radio 2 have been a massive support of um, a, a supporter of Eurovision. 2022, we started to see Radio 1 be more involved. Sam Ryder was suddenly on the playlist after Eurovision. He was suddenly, you know, he came, number, he came second in the chart. His album went to number one. Roll forward to Christmas just gone. Sam Ryder's in the live lounge with Greg James uh, singing as a sprout. So like <laughs> Radio 1 starts to be more involved in Eurovision as well, as we also look at the audience demographic around Eurovision and and, and those two audiences align really well. Can we rewind a little bit, Lee? I think it, I'll come to you for this one. Uh, it was beginning of August that TAP put the the press release out to say that the uh, we're no longer going to be consulting with the BBC. And then it was, I think it was in October, wasn't it, when we got another press release saying that the search for an artist and a song had taken place over the summer. Can you sort of fill in the gaps between that first press release and that second one? The TAP agreement really was never never intended to be something that was long-term. It was a conversation that came out of 
very sort of early on in 2021. Um, and I'd, I think I said this to you before, James, I sent Ben at Tap and Ed, his business partner, a, a speculative email about an artist that they had that I was interested in about Eurovision. And they said that at the time that artist wasn't right. But then Ben called me straight up to say, look, I know a lot about Eurovision. Obviously, his wife hosted in 2015 in Austria. And he said, I just feel like I've got the right connections in the industry to to change this and change the perception. And obviously from that, I introduced him to the rest of our BBC team. And, and then he came on board for the first year. But really, it was never discussed beyond that. It was just a how can they help in the first year and open the doors and get us, you know, in the right space. And then obviously we were hosting in Liverpool. So they decided to stay on for another year because why wouldn't they? It was on home soil. And I think they obviously wanted to keep that going. So there's never intention for it to be long term. And myself and Pete Ogden, so Pete's the creative director of studio, BBC Studios in the North. So he oversees a lot of programmes and one of them is Eurovision. We met Ben a couple of weeks after Eurovision in Liverpool just to get his thoughts and to get some feedback from him and whether he wanted to continue. And he was very gracious and said, look, we've had a great two years, but I think we're in a great place now. We've sort of shifted the perception. And he really felt like the doors had started to open and he was going to hand the reins back. But he's very much there and, you know, he's cheering on from the sidelines. But I think, you know, they're busy with other projects. They don't really have the capacity to do this as a long term project. So that's that's sort of where the next phase came from, which is Will and I had a conversation and we both felt the same, which is we felt like over the last couple of years, it's changed and you know between us we've had different people approach us to say how can my artist be considered or I've got a great song but I don't know really who to give it to so really there was no at the beginning we didn't know whether we were going to need someone like a tap another management company but Will and I thought if we can get going really early from sort of June last year and spend a couple of months just seeing who was out there speak to labels managers artists that was our plan to spend three months doing that and then sort of revisit in September. Are we in a good position? Do we have a lot of artists and interest? And if we didn't, then we could also look at doing a similar arrangement to what we've had before, where we would bring on a management company like TAP to help us. And we did meet some people like that, myself and Will, you know, people that were interested in doing that sort of TAP role. But it just so happened that what we what we thought was correct, which were there was a lot of people out there that wanted to be in involved which was great for us because we had established artists we had emerging artists we had people with great credentials great voices and we were in a really lucky position that once we started to speak to people we were like okay this is good like there's a lot of people out there that you know that are interested in this and see the benefit of of Eurovision and representing the UK which is something we couldn't have said three or four years ago it is all because of this journey we've been on the last couple of years. So Will is it safe to say that you you did have quite a few conversations with a lot of other artists, as well as Ollie Alexander over the summer? Yeah, I mean, we had artists, Lisa, we had artists approach us, we approached artists, you know, we sat down with the management of, of multiple artists, uh, signed to major labels, um, and at different start areas of their career as well, some that were pre-first album, some that were a few albums in, you know, we talk about Ollie having a number one, he's not the only person we spoke to that, that was in and around that space at all, what Lee was saying there is so key. The perception of Eurovision has shifted within the UK, both to the audience and to the and to the sort of industry, phenomenally in the last two years. We're in a space where Sam Ryder coming second went from suddenly he didn't necessarily feature on in, in any of the DSPs, any of the streaming world or any of the commercial radio markets. The day after he was appearing on everything from Capital Breakfast to Radio X to Magic. 
just to sort of think of three brand differentials that he was appearing on. He was then playing the Jubilee. He was then playing the Taylor Hawkins Foo Fighters concert to to singing at the Grand Prix. Like, it, it was to doing his New Year's Eve show last year that at that point was a record audience for 10 years in that slot. Like, then you go to Liverpool, which was an unbelievable show, like absolutely unbelievable show. May's song was a commercial hit. It, it went top 10 twice. That week after Eurovision last year, I need to make sure I say last year, there were three, four songs, three songs from Eurovision in the top 10. Loreen only dropped out of the top 10 at like the beginning of July, like six weeks afterwards. It, it changed the face. And that kind of recognition has allowed us to then have the license to be having these conversations with major labels about artists who are established, artists who are reaching the top of that sort of long curve that they have in terms of their career. They're very much on the rise and there and thereabouts rather than necessarily in, in other spaces within that curve. And so, you know, it was very exciting to, to be part of the process. And as Lisa, like we started earlier than ever. So you're starting, you know, artists that we approach, we're going to talk to them. And they're like, well, you want to talk about this now? It's like, it's this time <laughs> of the year. You're like, yeah, I want to sit down. I want to talk about this. Because of course we, we were in then in such a halcyon period in terms of the memory of how brilliantly Liverpool had gone as a spectacle and as a TV show. Shall we talk about how Ollie Alexander came about then? Was this an artist that you reached out to? Yeah, we, we should probably tell you how it started right at the beginning. And I'll let Will tell you who was in the room. We decided sort of the very first meeting we had was myself and Will, Susie Lam, who's the managing director of BBC Studios and, and Pete Ogden, who I mentioned before. And then Will assembled a lot of people from radio. And that was across all the different genres to sit in that room, very first kickoff meeting. And we asked loads of questions to everyone. We told them about Eurovision. Who would you like to see? Who who are you championing on your stations? Who do you think is a great artist? Who have you seen perform live? All these different things that we just sort of put into a melting pot of who does everyone in this room want to see? So Will can tell you from from his side who came, because that was really integral, really, to how we started this whole process. Yeah, it was a slightly new way of doing things, wasn't it? In terms of we assembled that room and at least as you know, stakeholders from BBC Studios were there, but we had people from the music teams at Radio 1 Radio 2 who have vast knowledge. We had people that have worked in record labels around both music and social and digital content. We had social leads from the BBC, you know, the the person that's mostly responsible for some of our biggest TikTok accounts came. And we and it was a real sort of like a, a demographic in terms of age and sex and how people identify because we wanted to make sure that it felt like what we were talking about was for everybody. You know, really importantly, we brought BBC Introducing along because so many great British artists have started their journeys there with BBC Introducing and they are such an incredible knowledge base. So it was a really interesting mix in that room. And Lee gave kind of like a, where we're at in terms of the Eurovision cycle, where we're at in terms of artists, where we're at in terms of the success we've seen and what we think we're looking for. Not in terms of like what we're looking for in terms of like trying to be really prescriptive that leads you to one artist. What we're looking for really broadly because actually, the one thing you find with Eurovision winners, there isn't any pattern to them massively in terms of who've won over previous years. There just isn't a huge amount of pattern. There's a pattern in terms of maybe how people have approached their campaigns or how people have staged or how people have grown, but not patterns in terms of the exact sound of song. And what I would say that we had within that room are a plethora of people who have worked both in the BBC and in the commercial sector who know what a commercially successful hit single would be. And Lee then brought this Eurovision knowledge to that and kind of gave us this really broad picture to paint or this like illustration that we, we would be colouring in. And we sat down for maybe an hour working out who we thought it would be, exactly this what Lee was saying in terms of like who we felt was supporting, who would be our dream person, all of these things. 
And then we had them all on post-it notes. And then we started the painstaking process of being like, would they, wouldn't they, that might just be the best idea we've ever had, which is weird. And we had all these three categories. <laughs> and we sat, we sat down with a, you know, one of them was like, maybe not right now, but they could do, or maybe just not right now. And so we left those for a while. And we took these other two categories, which are like, one was called, I think, definitely, maybe, don't know why. And one was called, <laughs> God, it would be amazing if they did, wouldn't it? Dot, dot, dot. And we kind of collated all of those. We then sent it round. There was a big kind of like polling uh, exercise around that. And, you know, Ollie came out right up there in terms of how people felt across all of the networks in terms of him being the right artist. Has somebody got a picture, by the way, of of, of the two boards? Because I feel like that would be one of the most valuable pictures for, for Eurovision fans. In, around put them all in a confidential way, Spin, all of those. Really <laughs> nice. As I say, they're really nice post-it notes. And I was like, I have to put these in a confidential waste bin. So yeah, once I illustrated what the list was, I put them away, I'm afraid. So as Will said, he was he was definitely on that list of people that we were like, wouldn't it be great if he did it? Um, and then I think, you know, whether it's fate or not, that same week or maybe the week after, um, Ollie's plugger, um, she's called Sarah Haddosh, TV plugger that Will and I know got in touch to say, management would love to have a meeting with you about Eurovision next year. Did that come about because they knew you were talking about him or was that just serendipitous? No. They didn't know. They didn't know that we were talking about him. It just so happened at the same time. So we had a meeting with management probably very early summer last year. Um, and I think Ollie's mentioned himself that when he was in discussions a couple of years ago, he didn't feel like he was in the right place or he didn't have the right song. So we just asked them what he'd been doing. And they mentioned that he'd been working with Danielle Hall for a year, writing lots of music. And they said they've got some really great stuff. So now he's in a position where he's got, you know, several songs that they were considering as a lead single for his next album. Um, and we just discussed Eurovision, why he wanted to do it. And he, as he said before in his own interviews, like he's a genuine fan of the contest. And it's something that he's always wanted to do. But I, th I feel like for Ollie he definitely thought that this was the right time. I think the stuff that he's been writing with Danny, who is also a Eurovision fan, he just felt that this was the right moment with the right kind of music that he would want to take to the to the contest. So from there, the next thing we asked them to do was when they were ready to send, and this is what we did for every artist we spoke to, we asked them to send us a couple of songs, not just one, so we could, you know, Will and I could then take it back to a wider team and say, you know, here's Ollie, here's a couple of songs that we've got, or here's X, Y, Z. And then they did the next couple of weeks, they gathered their songs together and they sent us a couple of songs to listen to. And, and they were all great, weren't they? Well, I remember the first time that we opened up the the file with the songs in. And, you know, you always, I, I say you worry, you don't worry, but you always want them to be good because you get so far in the process and you get excited about the potential of Ollie and the same with other artists. And sometimes, you know, we would have other artists that we were interested in and then the songs just weren't perfect you know, they didn't feel like they were they were right. But um, all Ollie's songs that he sent to us were really strong. So it was a tough decision, really, from there. Talk us through the decision-making process then. So when Ollie sends some songs, he's not the only one sending songs in at that point. So you've got to whittle down, first of all, some other artists. But then you've also got to whittle down Ollie's songs as well. So who was involved in that process? So I guess with the first bit to talk about the artists is that depending on who they were and if they had, you know, some of them did have major labels and some of them didn't. So if they had like major labels like Frawley, for example, Will and I went to meet Jody, who is the co-managing director of Polydor, Ollie's label. So this was before Ollie was selected to make sure that one, they would support him as a label. What were their thoughts for his campaign next year? Where are they with with Ollie? Just to check that if this was going to be, you know, if we were going to go for Ollie, that this would be 
they were going to fully back the campaign essentially it would be the lead single from his next album you know all their resources really would be put into that and i think from when we met jody and will knows jody much better than i do he was so enthused about the project and obviously told us that uh, Polydor were home to Loreen and ABBA in the UK. So all these things started falling into place around the Ollie campaign of just, you know, of course you need the, the the paramount thing is the song. It's a song contest. Then you need a great artist. But then it is amazing when all these other little things fall into place that are just sort of, oh, that's great. That's great. And that's great as well. Will, did your ears prick up the first time you heard that Ollie had been working with Danielle Hall? And, and then when you heard some of the songs as well, uh, they must have done, surely. Well, of course, and and you suddenly go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And I think when you hit, when we heard several tracks which we did hear, you go, yeah, this really does make sense. Having names like that associated with Eurovision is incredible. As as I say, as Lee says, when we went up to Polydor, it was a really exciting experience because we came in with the energy, but they were like, yeah, we want to do this, this, and this. And I was like, okay, this is this is you know, you guys are really really serious about this. Lee, for for you, I remember, I think when we spoke when Sam was just about to, to head out to Turin, you said it's really important to have the backing of a, a music or a record label to support it and to help fund it as well. Was it really important? I think you briefly mentioned it, but just to sort of flesh it out a little bit more, just how important it is to have that backing of Polydor, of, of Ollie's, Ollie's label behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, from everyone that's in this whole team this year, so this is down to Ollie's management, his pluggers, his, you know, his radio pluggers, his, his, his team, essentially, and all the label, everyone's so energized about this. that It's great for Will and I, because everyone's sort of bringing their A game and coming up with, you know, incredible ideas that we can do between, between now and May. But you're right in terms of you need a label because you've got to think of sort of BBC and BBC Studios as we're promoting Eurovision, the programme, but the la- you need the label in order to be able to promote the artist because there's only so much we can do with our resources at the BBC and same for Will with BBC Radio. That's what we can do and we can make sure that we, you know, we promote the programme and Ollie as much as we can. But you need the label to be able to do a big European campaign and especially for like the DSPs and playlists, you need a, a label to be able to do that and build a proper campaign for this for the single launch itself as a commercial pop song. I mean, they're a, they're a team who have delivered five UK number ones, two UK number one albums. Like, they know exactly what they're doing with Ollie, and that's what's really exciting about it. And they know exactly who he is as an artist and, and what his fan base is and how that works potentially with Eurovision for us, which is so exciting. Will, do you want to sort of give us the big sell, if if you will, for why Ollie? is just the right fit for Eurovision this year. Why did why did it come down to him in the end and you all said, yes, we want Ollie and we want this song? I think the first thing would be his absolute enthusiasm for the contest. He loves it. He lives and breathes it. It will come across when he starts to talk about it more, but we heard it in December on the announcement in Strictly and the interviews he did post-Strictly is he loves the contest and fans of Eurovision love the artists who just want to get involved. Um, and he will be absolutely brilliant for that. Musically, the music feels, you know, without giving anything away, feels in a really brilliant space for what I think we should be doing within the contest. Commercially, it will be fantastic. It will also be in a Eurovision space, brilliant from a Eurovision perspective and everything that comes with that from staging. So I think really it's those two major things, kind of like musically and his absolute enthusiasm, you know, and as an artist, his, from my perspective as well, his social reach, his existing fan base, his existing fan bases across Europe is a really exciting thing as well, because they are things that we can grow from. We are starting from a really high level 
of artists that we are working with in terms of artist recognition. And that's not just, let's not forget, like Ollie's not just a Brit nominee, he's a BAFTA nominee. He is kind of that dual threat of both an artist in this space and an actor in this space. Um, so he really has that breadth of recognition away from music as well as within music. So he's a really exciting person uh, to have on board for this this year. Lee, take us back to the moment then when it was rubber stamped, when when it was official and you made the decision. What was or who who made the official decision in the end? Take, take us back to that moment. I think what Will and I did sort of towards the end of the process was we whittled it down to sort of four or five artists that we thought could potentially be the one and we whittled it down to them plus and then we would have like two songs maybe for each artist that we would present so then that group that Will mentioned at the beginning we brought them all back to listen to the songs at the end with some of our talent as well so Scott and Wylan were in that room because they're also key as well you know they're both presenters on radio uh, radio two and also there are commentators for the semi-final so they've got a real investment in the artist as well and we listened to all the songs together me and Will just presented them without any sort of you know, we didn't say anything else around them. We just wanted people to listen without prejudice to the the song and the artist. And then it was really apparent from that room that everyone was sort of going for the same one, which is the, the song that we've ended up with. It's really hard not to say the name. Of it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? it? Yeah, so everyone was really, that song just jumped out for everyone. And I think it works, as Will said before, on so many levels. And it's really important for us that people are telling or they feel that this has got real great commercial potential and obviously all our social leads at, at BBC Radio are going, this will be great across all social platforms. And again, from a Eurovision point of view, that we feel like it's a great song that's got a great, you know, it's a song that's really be able to get a great performance to. And I think that's the key for Eurovision, that it can sit in both spaces. And that's always a tricky thing to actually find. Some songs that we heard felt like they were slightly too, they would be great on radio, but they wouldn't work as a performance. Or so some of them felt so sort of Eurovision-esque that they just wouldn't work in a commercial space. So, you know, this this song is like the sort of hybrid of both, really. So it's just a really great position to be in. And it was really great, actually, in the room when the feedback was all travelling in the same direction. So we didn't feel like everyone was split and what were we going to do? So it was quite easy after that to get sign-off because obviously we would have to take it to our bosses um, at BBC and commissioning. But it was quite an easy sell in to be honest because will and i were able to present it with these are all the people that were in the room and they're all really senior people i mean no one is really going to go against it if we say look at all these people that have listened to it we're all in the same you know we're all traveling in the same direction many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Lee, can I come back to something you said before about how Ollie was in the mix a couple of years ago. And I know this is something that he's mentioned in some some interviews since. Uh, 
in a way, do you almost feel like you you owe him, uh, you know, this support and, and he deserves such a good result because he was so close to, to doing it a couple of years ago? Uh, I don't think so. I think for Ollie himself, like he, he said it wasn't the right time a couple of years ago. So it's not something that was ever taken away from him. It wasn't the right time. I think he'd already had a couple of singles off his album. He hadn't got any new material. Whereas, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And, you know, two years on from this, he's here with, you know, several songs that could have been his Eurovision entry, which is a much better place to be in. And he's writing with Danny. And I think I think he'd probably look back and if he would have done it two years ago, he might have regretted not going with what he felt is like one of the best songs of his career. So I think, you know, everything happens for a reason. So it's definitely not a, you know, you didn't get it two years ago, so here you go. It, it, it's your time now. Because I don't think he actually feels like that because it was never so much of a thing at the time that he was so close and didn't get it. You know, he was... As he said, he had the conversations about it. We just didn't feel it was the right time and had the right the right songs. And that must have been hard for him to do because he really wants to do it. So sometimes you have to know that it's not the right time yourself to not, you know, not not take that journey when it's something that he really wanted to do. We've got to talk about the announcement of when it was made. So 16th of December on Strictly Come Dancing in the final, probably one of the biggest TV events of the year. Uh, first of all, Lee, it must have been a nice moment for you to sort of come full circle because you used to work on Strictly, right? I did work on Strictly, but a long time ago in the Bruce Forsyth years. Um, <laughs> it was, and I'll tell you a funny story about the Strictly thing. One, it's probably one of my most proud moments in my whole sort of Eurovision experience that we actually managed to keep something a secret and it didn't yeah. leave. People didn't find out about it. So one... What I loved about that Saturday night is that it came as a genuine surprise for anyone that it was it was announced on Strictly. It was announced before Christmas. So that was really nice for once to be able to reveal our news without it leaking by a paper or, you know, someone else sort of a couple of weeks before. Because when we're all working so hard on it, you do want to make this announcement and it feel like a real treat for everyone because it comes out of nowhere and people don't know it's coming. So that was that was really nice. But when we went to Strictly on that Saturday, I mean, for Will and I, it was really strange because not very many people had heard that song before. In fact, people still haven't heard the song. They know it's Ollie. But the week before Strictly is when Will and I had to start sort of telling more people. So we had to tell the BBC social teams it was Ollie. And I think for Will and I, we felt like we'd held on to this, just us two and, you know, his management and the label, and which was also a small group for so long that it was once you have to tell wider people like is this going to get out there now so that week before strictly was sort of well we've got to tell them because they've got to you know prepare their work and we've got to get everyone engaged in it um but only two people at strictly knew it was going to happen they didn't tell claudia until that morning really yeah so everyone thought that ollie was just going to go in as a celebrity to read the t's and c's so the exec producer and the series producer knew um at strictly and it was so covert at one point that they sent a security list through for Ollie's team. So there were his glam team and his management and myself was on the list. And I looked at it and thought, because I know a lot of the production team on Strictly, even down to, can you take me off his list and put me on another <laughs> security list? Because if people see me on the same list as him, they'll just, they'll, they'll work it out straight away. Why would I be coming with him to Strictly on a Saturday night? So even down to that, and when the, when he went up to do the rehearsal, I made sure I wasn't really anywhere in his space so people wouldn't look at me because this was still sort of three hours before. It's funny, actually, because sort of 10 minutes before we went up to the studio, we all walked up together and one of the producers on Strictly saw me and he was obviously in the same space. He said, oh, now it all makes sense why he's here. So actually, 
the right to do that because people do look and put two and two together. Why would I be at Strictly on a on a Saturday night in December when I when I don't need to be? <laughs> uh, can I put you on the spot? Do you know? It's not the earliest UK announcement. I don't know how. I don't know if you know where down the list in terms of how early of announcement this is for the UK. Do you, oh. Dealy? Either you know. This is a great uh, stat. I don't, but I imagine that one of those back in the day would have been early. I would say back in the day, I have no idea when they were announced in like the 60s and 70s. But the Eurovision used to be much early, like ABBA's win was the 6th of April. Well, so I'm just thinking with my uh, TV producer head on, like the people like Michael Ball and Sonia who had, you don't know if you remember them, well, they had their own shows on the BBC. So like, I don't know, a night in February or March, they would sing eight songs and then the public would vote on the one they wanted to go to Eurovision. Mm-hmm. But working backwards from a production cycle, they would have <laughs> needed to start doing that at least sort of September, October time. So I imagine... It's one of those internal artists, isn't it, before their name, imagine. You are right. You, you mentioned one of them. Sonia was the earliest. She was she was announced on the 30th of August, believe it or not. Blimey. There you go, Will. There's a challenge for next year. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Ollie is the 12th earliest. You can put that in, in your notebook for next year if you want to go Mountain even earlier. Glastonbury or something this year. For next year. <laughs> Everyone will be looking at the headliners for Glastonbury now thinking, are they going to do Eurovision? You might have let, the, you've let it slip. Um, Will, for you... In terms of when the announcement was made, and we've mentioned how it was quite a shock for for well, pr- pretty much everybody. What was it like in terms of the the reaction? Because I think the reaction has generally, or almost overwhelmingly, been positive, hasn't it? Yeah, I think the reaction has been fantastic. Um, not only looking at kind of like interaction that the various sort of like BBC music brands have had around Ollie when they posted about him or had him on as a guest, but also just looking at interaction across social platforms. The enthusiasm around Ollie, both from Eurovision core fans that we have, people that are quite clearly Ollie, Ollie Alexander fans, and then people that have just seen it as passing in the news cycle has been really, really positive. To the extent it's like, why is Ollie doing? He doesn't need to, but that they're looking that through that through a lens of old Eurovision kind of like who does Eurovision? They're not looking at it through the lens of like seeing the rise of Eurovision year on year, both kind of like reputationally and in terms of the data. Um, so it's been incredibly positive, We've, you know, just within the BBC, but also, you know, friends and colleagues I have across music and, and uh, kind of radio have been incredibly excited about it and complimentary about him as an artist. And it's funny, Lee was saying earlier about how it was difficult to keep it a secret going into Strictly. And then we had to start telling people that week. And I still find myself calling him the artist because I, because I don't want to say, I don't want to say that. I mean, we, my team was working on the Beatles final single about the same time. So I had these two things that were like really NDA-able. We were at both NDA'd either. So I ended up just talking in riddles for about six weeks, two months around both these projects. I still find myself calling them various random things because, because I'm like, no, no, Ollie's been announced now, Will. It's fine. Maybe also because we announced so much earlier than the last two years. Well, it's been announced. You can talk about Ollie literally being on, you know, <laughs> all the newspapers, being on all the radio stations talking about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the reaction was incredibly positive and, and incredibly generous from from both the audience and and kind of like other various stakeholders, which is very exciting. And what about some of your colleagues at, at the BBC as well? You know, just to go back a few years when the UK would generally find itself at the bottom of the leaderboard, the song wouldn't necessarily chart to where we are now. Is the perception, maybe for you, Will, and the rest of the team at BBC Music, the perception of Eurovision must have changed extraordinarily? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think it's what we discussed a little earlier in terms of where Eurovision artists are starting to chart. The audience demographic and growth of audience we're starting to see on that Saturday night show, certainly the final and the semi-finals. 
Um, what we're starting to see in terms of Eurovision artists and what they've gone on to do. Um, Lee mentioned earlier, Loreen comes through Polydor. You know, Sam Ryder just had a Christmas number two single, losing out by only a handful of sales to Wham! last Christmas. And this guy rose to fame as a Eurovision artist. Like those things are the real perception shifters that have allowed us to do Ollie. And they are the things that I think people are sitting up and looking at and going, okay, the data here is really strong in terms of chart positions, in terms of airplay, um, it, and also like more qualitative stuff in terms of support and who's talking about it. When Ollie, you know, when Ollie was announced the Eurovision artist, Elton John starts talking about it on Twitter. Elton John starts talking about who the, who the Eurovision artist is. Obviously, they have a relationship from a um, performance they did at the Brits a few years ago. But Elton John on announcement is talking about who the Eurovision artist is. You know, that again is another perception shift that we're seeing year in, year out. A big difference as well, sort of this year, that sort of Will started on for the last two years is making sure that BBC Music were more invested in the artists and the selection. So this year, one of the reasons to put that focus group together at the beginning is so that everyone's invested in this journey. So when we get to the end and we've got an artist and a song, everyone feels like they're part of it. So people want to get involved. And whether that be social teams or, you know, Radio 1 or Radio 2, their teams are so invested in this process and how we got here. And now we've got Ollie and the song that they've they've been on this journey with us for six months already. So when it comes to promoting it and launching they're all coming with ideas to say, can we do this with him? Can we do, you know, let's launch him here. Let's do this idea in a way that it probably wasn't happening a few years ago, because I think a few years ago, it was a danger of, you know, select an artist and song and then, you know, come begging to Radio 1 and 2, will you play our song? It's a Eurovision song. And that's, that's never the best way to make it work because the teams need to feel like they're involved in this. And I think, you know, Will's been working hard with Polydor on the commercial aspect of this as well, because we want Eurovision to be like all those other things like Glastonbury that don't feel so so BBC centric. It's just an event for everyone. And that's what we're trying to do with Eurovision and sort of make the reach wider. So we did take a punt sort of the week before we revealed Ollie on Strictly that Polydor spoke to the commercial stations to let them know it would be Ollie to get him in that next week on all those capitals and hearts because if you don't do that and you don't trust them then they'll just feel sort of on the periphery of it and we never want that we want everyone to feel included and you know I think with that trust then comes okay well we want to support the artist and obviously Ollie's a great name for them as well so that helps but it's all about bringing people in and putting them in your circles to say come and work with us on this project because everyone wants to just make everyone wants a piece of it and I feel like they only want a piece of it if they feel like they're included in the process with you. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Lee. It's that thing where Eurovision is for everybody. It is a UK entertainment institution. It should feel to the public like Glastonbury, like the Olympics. It happens, to, or like, like a World Cup. It happens to be on the BBC, but it's everyone's and everyone should be able to talk about it rather than it being seen as a BBC event. It is something the BBC is the guardian of and delivers, but actually it's just something that as the UK, we are incredibly proud is ours. No one talks about after a, uh, England football, like the Lionesses, no one's remembering whether the final was on the BBC or the ITV. No one cares. They're just really proud that team did incredibly. And it's the same with this. For Eurovision, everyone just to care that Ollie has done brilliantly this year, uh, fingers crossed, has done brilliantly this year, is the ultimate outcome. So Eurovision feels like part of the sort of national zeitgeist, part of the one of those great range of events that the UK does that we're incredibly proud of our performance at. Looking ahead then, presumably you've got the plan in place for, for the sort of the song release and then the promotional element as well. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we're sort of keeping things open at the minute because um, we're going to sort of regroup 
and it will be essential to find where we can there's so there's so much interest in ollie which is a great place to be but we want to make sure that we're doing the right things and we're trying to make sure that you know we get as much exposure for the song when we can but we want to do things a little bit differently and and how can we do that so we need all the teams to feedback first to say what does everyone want to do with ollie what are the tv opportunities what are the radio opportunities where can we launch it how can we launch it so we're sort of just putting all those together at the minute to find the best the best plan so it's safe to say then nothing is guaranteed yet you haven't decided the song release date or, or where it's going to be announced is it still under wraps we've got some markers of course we have but we're just trying to work around which are the best of those places to to go and that depends on a lot of other things and you've got to remember as well that especially for any release that comes from the bbc there's lots of other things going on at the same time so if the, you know like they could be launching a new doctor who or we don't know what other things are going on so we have to make sure that it's also fitting into a a space where it's not going to be overshadowed by another big announcement on the same on the same day. Yeah, you haven't got kind of like a Graham Norton and a piano room month. Plus, also we've the, they've announced the squad for the Euros in the summer all on the same day. Plus, it's, <laughs> plus it's comic relief. Like, because that can happen sometimes. So really, um, those things picking your moment dictates so much. And I, you know, building on what Lisa said there, we are in a really exciting space where we can start to build a really exciting run into the contest because of those who've come before him. So there's lots of great options and opportunities to really, instead of being like, well, what did we do last year that worked or didn't work? It's like, what can we do that we feel this year in this, in this, with this artist, in this sort of atmosphere, with this reception that we can do that will start to, again, keep pushing the boundaries of what people think Eurovision is and continue to evolve that. This was another reason as well why we wanted to announce the artist or get it out there before Christmas, because it allows us then to speak openly about who our artist is and look at options. Because when you don't have that, so for example, in the Sam and the May Muller year, where where it's a secret, it's not like you can pitch these artists out to shows because no one actually knows who it is. So I remember, I think from the Sam year, we were trying to pitch him to, you know, Graham Norton to have a performance on, but we were we were saying we've got a Eurovision artist it's a name that you'll be interested in because they've got a lot of, you know, a huge TikTok following, but we can't say any more. And it's really difficult to book things when they don't know who that artist is. And I think revealing our artists, and especially because Ali, Ollie is a established artist as well, it really helps us to look at where we can put him in sort of, you know, this space between now and March for song reveal and then from from March to May for, for the Eurovision promo as well. But it also means that we can use Ollie in the way that we've not been able to use Salmon may because there's nothing covert so he can go and film his music video and he can show us what's happening without revealing any of the song so we can still you know we can still do all those things between now and march in the way that we couldn't because we didn't we hadn't revealed anything before which is why we've always been so quiet between january and march but this is a a time now where we've got an artist that we can use to do all kinds of sort of teaser stuff which is what you want you want to build the excitement up to the song reveal exactly and and you know, we kind of talked a bit earlier, the fact that Ollie is a Brit billion streaming artist, a bath, you know, he spent 106 weeks in the top 40 of his singles. Like this is, we're dealing with someone who, and, and he is brilliant, you know, he, he co-presented Sounds Like Friday Night, the show that was on BBC One. Like he is an entertainer and a singer and an actor, which is such an exciting person to have because you can throw him into any environment and he will be so irascibly himself which is a wonderful and funny and entertaining and kind person and um, that means that we can do so much with him. Lee have you been knocking on Dan Shipton's door for a big prop for Malma? 
<laughs> I haven't actually because Dan's not going to be doing the uh, Dan's not going to be doing the staging because oh, no, Ollie really. has his own team, as you would probably imagine. Um, so it's a guy called Theo Adams, um, who's Ollie's creative director. So Theo's done. He did the It's a Sin performance at the Brits with Elton John for Ollie. He did the BBC New Year's Eve show. He did his last tour, the Night Call tour. So obviously for Ollie, it's important that he has his own team around him for Eurovision. But the good thing is that, as Will said before, like Ollie's such a massive fan of Eurovision, like he does know it inside out. So he absolutely, you know, you don't need to tell Ollie that you can only have six people on stage or your song can't be more than three minutes. He already knows these things. So for Ollie and Theo to be working together already and thinking about ideas, it's really great because it's a team that they trust each other and they've worked together a lot before. So they're going to come up with something great. And I think Ollie said in his own interviews that, you know, he just wants to try and do as much as he can on stage in three minutes and try and make it as exciting and as unique as possible. So it stands out in the, in the crowd. So yeah, no Dan Shipton and a big uh, prop this year, unfortunately. Is he ignore- there might be a big prop I was going to say, there might be, still be a big prop. Is Dan ignoring your WhatsApps now when you've told him that he can't work on you? <laughs> no, I'm sure Dan will still be there in some capacity. Oh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Um, Will, very quickly, what do you think would be a successful result for, for Ollie this year? Do you have something in the back of your head, like a, a, a number one or a top 10 result? Have you got something that is a barometer for success? I mean, our ambition is to win and our ambition is for the single to go to number one and for it to be another watershed moment for Eurovision for the UK. That is our ambition. And I think with everything in life, you have to make peace with what the worst case scenario is to reach the best. Everyone that enters Eurovision, anyone that's associated with Eurovision, everyone's aware of what the worst case scenario can be. But I believe that this will be another huge growth spike in terms of what Eurovision means. And we can measure that in a million different ways if we want to. But really, we're going there to win it. And we are going there to win it with a single that is a incredibly commercially successful single. And Lee, are you excited to go to Eurovision with probably about 10% of the stress and pressure that you had in Liverpool? Uh, yeah, it'd be nice, actually. And I wasn't like, I, I said to Susie, who's our MD afterwards, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it again. As you know, I love it. So it wasn't that. But after Liverpool, you feel like, okay, like it's been such a great, you know, Sam was a great experience. And then how, getting to make Eurovision was my dream. So I needed a bit of distance before I said, okay, let's do it again. Um, but I feel like we've sort of come a long way on this journey and you sort of still, I feel like there's still work to do, if that makes sense. So like Will said, we haven't won it. You know, that's still an ambition. And to get a number one, that would be a huge commercial success. And I feel like it's in a really good place in this country. So you sort of want to keep keep building on that because I feel like if this can keep going for, you know, two or three years, then it's going to be in a great place, hopefully forevermore. And, you know, whoever does this job in the future will be able to take all these things that we've built over the last couple of years and just and keep going with it because it, you know, it is in a really good place. And even from the artist search this year, as we said before, to have established artists coming to you and putting themselves forward is a place that we couldn't even dream of being sort of three years ago. So even in that short space of time, to see that trajectory of where we are now is incredible. Like there's such a there's such a love for it again in this country. And that's that's amazing for us because, you know, we're, we're part of it in the middle. So sometimes you don't always see it. But Liverpool was definitely like a, a moment where you saw that crowd and you saw everyone in the arena and everything, the sort of reviews of the show and the viewing figures just feel like, wow, like we've actually managed to sort of bring this back from a, you know, it's all political, we should withdraw to like such a great experience that we had 
this year with with Eurovision and how people feel about it again in this country? You know, we are in a brilliant place. It is. We are recording this on the fifth of January. We have not been here certainly in my tenure. My involvement, sorry, with this has been short, but we've certainly not been here like this as we are now where we are discussing creatives and launch plans with the options that we do with an artist, with all the accolades that we've, we've pre-discussed. So, you know, confidence, confidence is good, but not over the top, but yeah, just feel really calm about it and, and excited beyond anything, like so excited for it. I don't want May to scoot around the corner straight away because there's so much, to be, there's so much fun that we're going to have between now and, and the 11th. Confident, but not arrogant. Is that fair to say? Just like excited, like just like genuinely just really excited for it. And the next five months, pretty much on the nose, is going to be amazing. Ollie will go away and do some amazing things. The BBC Eurovision team will do some amazing things. It will be exciting to be a part of it from my perspective and really exciting for the audience to see everything that we want to do in the run-up to Malmö. And like often you feel like, oh, let's get to the contest and we'll start. But this is like, there's so many wonder, and the team that we're working with is so exciting as well. But yeah, Ex- excited, not overconfident, but excited and calm about it, which is which is the way to be, I think. Lee, are you excited? I feel like we should give you an opportunity to say, yes, you are excited as well. <laughs> I'm definitely excited. You know what? Like, being around Ollie is is the same as being around Sam, that enthusiasm that they have for this project, and that is what you can't buy. Like, he's so invested in this experience and, you know, everything for, you know, in his diary is Eurovision focused between now and May, and that was the same with Sam, want to be part of everything, do everything, and you can't ask for more than that. And it's infectious when you have an artist like Sam was that is genuinely wanting to go there, wanting to experience it all, and, and that's what we have with with Ollie. And I'm not saying that May wasn't like that. I didn't work with May, so that's why I don't say that. I'm sure May was exactly the same, and it's nice, you know, and I think that's why they've had all this success over the last three years, because these artists are sort of engaging for, for our audiences and you know I'm not saying that the others weren't before that but I just found that Ollie had something which I saw in Sam which was a genuine love for the contest and he wants to be there he's put himself forward because he wants to be there and that's the sort of best place that we can be in yeah it's safe to say it's gone down a storm <laughs> with everybody everybody's over the moon uh, Lee and Will thanks so much for your time really appreciate it and uh, best of luck for the next few months cheers thanks thank you you're listening to the Euro Trip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. And there you have it, James. On behalf of the listeners and myself, thank you so much for all of your hard work and for bringing us that conversation because we have found out so much more about not only how the BBC landed on Ollie Alexander as the UK's representative for Eurovision 2024, but also some more fascinating stuff on what the plans are between now and May the 11th. Yeah, a huge thanks to to the pair of them for giving us so much detail about that process, which started, as we now know, in early summer. They were working on it, it sounds like pretty much a few weeks after Liverpool, which is quite a surprise. Did none of these people take holidays? Um, Rob, what, what are some of your key takeaways from that? I mean, we could be here all night if I go through everything (laughs) that I found fascinating in that conversation. I think what you just said there about the fact that they were meeting in early summer and that initial meeting that Will and Lee were able to describe where kind of all of the BBC bigwigs were in one room in the same place, all of the stakeholders that are 
involved in BBC radio and music and entertainment. And the fact that that's not really happened before shows how the BBC are now truly bought into Eurovision. Liverpool has, of course, done that. Sam Ryder coming second has, of course, done that. And we are in a position where we could never have imagined we'd be in you know, three years ago. I think Lee said that earlier on in the in the interview. So that was brilliant. Also, the fact that there is currently no plan for when the song will be released. Well, not, <laughs> not that there's no plan. There clearly is a plan, but they're not sure exactly when because they want to make it the best song release possible at the, the prime time. Yeah, it shows, doesn't it? Two things. First of all, having the artist out there before the song really helps because then the shows and the TV channels and the, and the radio stations know who it'll be and will want a piece of the action. But also the fact that where we are now with the UK and Eurovision, we've come a long way from where rival radio stations or rival TV networks didn't really care. Everybody wants a piece of the action, don't they? I remember if we look back at 2014-2015, the act was announced on the red button on like a weeknight, I think. And look Mm. at where we are now. (laughs) It's absolutely incredible to think about how much things have changed. But also how confident they are. Will, especially, he, he, I was going to use the word desperate. That's definitely the wrong word. But just how keen and eager, but also confident he is that this could be a, a really good result, but also a really successful song in the charts. I've written down the quote, you asked the question, what is obviously the ideal end result of Eurovision 2024? And Will said, our ambition is to win and the single to go to number one. I mean, that that is literally it. That is the peak. Like, you can't get better than that. That should be the goal for everybody, though, shouldn't it? I think he said that as well. You should be able to go into a contest or a competition like this, ultimately striving for the best possible result. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. So much to to take away. I mean, for you having done that chat and for having spoken to them and I'm sure got more juicy stuff off mic that you can't (laughs) tell us. But, you know, for you being the one that that had that conversation, I mean, you must have come away from that thinking, you know what, we're feeling, as Will said, pretty confident about about what's going to come in the next few months. Yeah, and for British Eurovision fans, we should all be thinking we're in a good place and it's being delivered by genuinely passionate people. It's the first time we've spoken to Will. don't know about you, Rob, don't know about you listening, but for me, I got uh, an idea that he really cares about this and he really wants success at the end of it for, for, for Ollie and generally for the UK and the BBC. But also Lee, we've, we've had him on the podcast loads of times now and I was chatting to him afterwards and he was saying he loves to come on the pod to chat to us because he knew what it was like when he was growing up that he was always looking for the tiniest bit of detail about Eurovision. Now that he's in a position where he can give that detail, he can tell us fans what is going on, he knows how important that is. And also one thing that really stood out to me when we were chatting once we'd stopped recording is that he said, Ultimately, at the end of the day, he just wants UK fans to go into Eurovision Week with the feeling that they can win. It doesn't necessarily have to win, but just that feeling going into the competition that the UK could actually win Eurovision. And that really stood out to me. I just honestly, it gets my like hair standing on end. Like I get goosebumps thinking about how exciting it is that we are in this position now where the UK take Eurovision seriously. I think the fact that Lee, obviously, is willing to come on the podcast is incredible because you have to say he doesn't have to do this. Like He doesn't have to talk. And there are so many other delegations that don't 
But Lee Smithurst will always get back to you. Even if he's busy, he'll be like, you know, I'll come on in a few weeks or in a couple of months. He will always give us the time of day. But also, I think having Will on the podcast today does just show and is a clear sign of intent from the BBC. Because Eurovision is not just this thing that the BBC Eurovision team work on for half a year and they also have all these other projects and other things that they work on. Having Will on the podcast shows that the whole BBC is now bought into the Eurovision projects and that is what you need to deliver a Eurovision winner. 100%. Now, do let us know what you think of what Lee and what Will told us just there. We'd love to hear from you at Eurotube Podcast on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can see some videos as well uh, on TikTok. Hello at EurotubePodcast.com on the email. And you can read a lot more about some of the stories he told us on EurotubePodcast.com. If you thought that was enough for the week, well, rest assured, everybody, it's not because we are going to be back as usual on Wednesday, so in just a couple of days' time, and we will be bringing you our Eurovision 2024 predictions. So if you want to send any of yours in, by the way, before that, and we can read them out, please do, in all the ways that James has just mentioned. But yeah, Eurovision 2024 predictions we'll be doing on the podcast on Wednesday. Yes, regular programming will resume with weekly episodes every Wednesday uh, from this week all the way through until May. Uh, But in the meantime, don't forget, of course, to subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five stars. From me, James, it is goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.